This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. So welcome to a new segment of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast called The Offshore Investor. My name is Ali Mokane Nugakweli. I'll be your host. So in this segment, we will talk about how to invest in offshore markets with a bias to American markets, looking at the New York Stock Exchange. This is a place where you get to learn what you need to open a brokerage account, what are some of the international companies which you can look out for, as well as the requirements for opening a brokerage account in Kenya. This is going to be your go-to destination to learn about offshore investment, so stick with me. In this segment, I will have a co-host. His name is Ibrahim Roy Karuthiru, a managing partner at Bricklane LLP, which is an advisory firm that offers consultancy to individuals and organizations that are looking to invest in offshore markets. Welcome to the show, Ibrahim. All right. Thank you, Ali. Welcome to Offshore Investing uh, Kenyan Wall Street podcast. And uh, it's an amazing experience. Let's see how this works or goes on. And uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Ali. This podcast will air weekly every Saturday at 10 a.m. So you can just listen in when you're relaxed in your house and you would like to review the events of the week in global markets to guide you on some of the decisions that you want to make on where you want to put your money. So let's start right off. What are these offshore markets? Offshore investing can entail a lot. You can open a business uh, offshore. And what it really means is simply outside the jurisdiction, right? So if you're a Kenyan and you've invested, say, in Uganda, in Tanzania, South Africa, that is outside your jurisdiction. So that becomes an offshore investment. But we'll be focusing on offshore investing in stock markets, in offshore stock market, right? So this will be NSE, NYSE, the LSE, which is the London Stock Exchange, and the NASDAQ. So with a bias, of course, to US stock markets. So not many know this, but you can invest in the US, right? So we have three brokers who've been, you know, licensed by the CMA. Alternatively, there are other brokers who you can, you know, open an account through and they will give you access to the big companies, essentially Facebook. We all consumers most of these products. So Facebook, Twitter is a listed company. Facebook is a listed company. If you have a computer, likely you're using one with Microsoft. So Microsoft is a listed company and so many other companies that go on. I used an Uber coming here, so definitely Uber is a listed company as well. Um, other companies would be maybe Gilead's, which is G-I-L-D, that's a stock ticker symbol. And uh, you know, they're in the forefront of biotech companies that are leading in search of the COVID-19 um, cure or prevention medicine. So these are also listed companies and you can invest in that world as well. So Zoom, even Zoom, I mean, Zoom, you know, it's gone from just single digits and now it's a 500 plus a stock company. So you could as easily as much just bought into it. Tesla, there's so many companies. There's more than 4,000 listed companies in the US. So 
If we add the over-the-counter stocks, we're talking about 8,000 to 9,000 listed companies. So there's a variety of companies you can invest in. So we'll be focusing on offshore investment in the stock markets. Just to get a better feel of this, what are the advantages of diversifying beyond the local stock exchange to invest in offshore markets? you know, like in the New York Stock Exchange. All right. So to answer this, I think I'll uh, use. Okay. So Zamara, about two days ago, they had an article on uh, Business Daily and they said that the pension scheme were not able to invest in uh, offshore stock markets because they have to discuss and, you know, come up with uh, a way to actually invest in this. And Zamara said that they lost uh, the year to date was 32.7%, right? So the market is up 32.7%, the offshore segment part of the investing. So most of the investment are in bonds and the NSC, right? So with 417 pension schemes, the total amount of money that they have actually invested is about 6.5 billion Kenya shillings, which is little given that they can invest as much as 15% of their total assets in offshore stocks. So you find that that is very little. And uh, the reason why they are not able to capture this 32% is first, they took too long to make a decision to actually invest offshore. And secondly, is the assets under management on the offshore segment of the pensions is so little that even the 32.7% does not make a difference in the overall return of the pension scheme. So I'd say it's two-sided because one thing is you need to educate the pensions on the advantages of OSHA, right? That's one. Number two is without the education, we just have the same problem we have with the NSC. NSC does not, let me say, they do not engage a lot in educating the public about the advantages of stock market investing. And hence, people just go with, you know, buying land. And that's a big part where, <laughs> where most of our assets or investment is. So either land and rental income. And, you know, the break even is years out. So there'll need to be a lot of education in, in that part. And also the portion where the advantages first I'll say is you can buy fractional shares, right? For instance, Amazon is, you know, a thousand plus, right? <laughs> Puppies. So when you have fractional shares, that means you can buy that even with just $500 in your account, right? So if you have a brokerage account and you want to buy $100 worth of Amazon stock, you can actually do that. So you just get fractional shares that is worth that much so that is one advantage most people think you need hundreds of millions of dollars to just get into offshore stock market but that is a myth because everybody thinks it's just you know very rich people who can do that but no anybody who has money and would like to get in there it's possible you just need to open a brokerage account and from there you can buy any stock that you would like to invest in there's something that you talk about that really got my attention I mean, in Kenya, land is one of those things that most uh, people are encouraged to invest in. And to that, I have this question. What is the risk factor of investing in land versus stocks, both um, in Kenya and abroad? Well, I'm not focused so much on buying land outside the country. Uh, 
But if I was to invest in stocks, given that you have two options, whether to invest in land or stocks, I go to stocks because the liquidity of it is very, if I want to sell a stock, I just simply, you know, go and sell it and I'll have money. If it's NSE, it's a three plus one. So in three days, you'll have your money in your account. Uh, in US, it's instant. You just sell and the money is there. There's no waiting for tomorrow. There's no 20 minutes from now. It's automatic, right? So you sell, you have your cash ready there and then. So that liquidity is very important. If I was to sell land, it would take me time. Secondly, I need to find somebody who wants to buy that land, which is not easy. You know, there's so many people you need to talk to so that they can look for other people who need to buy that land or have the amount of cash that you're asking for, right? So it's tough for land. The liquidity part of it is a hard sell for most people. And you find the young people actually have been priced out on the land part, right? <laughs> you're going to look for land and they will tell you you need, uh, I don't know, 10 million? Where are you getting 10 million from? Exactly. That, I mean, 10 million is giveaway in some places. So, I mean, just stick to something you can look for. I mean, investing offshore, you'll be able to see your stock performance on a daily basis. Anytime you want, just get into your phone, uh, your computer, whichever device you have that can access the internet, you simply can look into it and buy into it. So the advantages are many. You can go from ETFs, their options, their futures, their you know fractional shares. I mean, the options are just too immense to go into. Let me pick your brain a little bit. Okay. How many Kenyans do you think invest in offshore markets at the moment? And why do you think that's the case? Well, number one, I'd say many, especially the ultra rich. I'm not sure about the number, but the last I checked was about maybe two, two, three hundred. The thing is, you find that the ultra rich, you know, they've got into a point where the Kenyan stock market cannot absorb them. So they're looking for better returns. I mean, the liquidity we have maybe in NSC might not be something they're looking forward to. So you find that they go into looking for better options. So they will go to, you know, London Stock Exchange. They will go to the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ. I mean, US is the largest by market capitalization, largest stock market we have globally. So it can accommodate anybody and a lot of them go there. Secondly, we have a lot of people going into Forex. I'm not into Forex myself. <laughs> I stick to stock markets, but that is also, you know, you investing offshore as well because you trade in currency pairs and that is not happening here until recently when we had the three brokerages, uh, but that is part of it. So yeah, there are a lot of people doing it. It's just, you know, you won't find somebody who tells you, oh, by the way, I have Facebook share. You know, it's not, it's not casually exactly, yeah, well, exactly. It's not something that you just simply say. So, um, I think that's where the hard part is. But with time, I hopefully think that will grow. I feel like there's a lot to unpack regarding the differences between local and international markets. But then, what are some of the key differences that really stand out between offshore markets and local markets? Returns. That simple. It's just returns. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's different. You will have so many stocks in the US that, you know, they will go from, like, there's a stock NIO that went from, currently it's priced at around, I think, about $30. And just a few weeks ago, you know, it was about 15 or less, if I remember correctly. 
So, you know, you don't find those kind of movements here in, in Kenya. I mean, it, it takes time for that to happen. You will see more stocks go down than go up. I don't know why that is the case. But those are the simple advantages you have. You have uh, stocks priced at whichever price you want. So you get, you know, I don't encourage people to go for the, the small cap stocks because the risk is quite high. They deal with a niche market and that could change anytime. So those are, the, I'd say, the advantages of that. Yeah. You talked about volatility right there, and I feel like this really fits in the context of, you know, global markets right now, given it just ended US elections between Biden and Trump. Right. Which brings me to the question, what are some of the things that affect offshore markets, both for the good and for bad? Elections is one. This is different because for the last two days, the market has been doing nothing but going up. Normally, it's supposed to go down. The market does not like uncertainty and it's forward-looking. So you find that they've priced in any news that they have that, you know, the market might throw at it. So that is one. So election is one. Of course, a recession is the second. Uh, 208, you know, was a really tough year for equity investing. It was also a great year for opportunity because you could buy, you know, very cheap stocks and from then the stock market has done nothing but go up. March was another good month because when COVID-19 was evident in the US, the market just stole up. And since then, stocks have gone way past the high that it had before. But you know, it's come down, of course, because of the elections. But that's part of what you might get the volatility there. That means Tesla went from 1900 and then dropped all the way to around 380 and then went up again from 380 to above the 1900 to all the way to 2100, right? That was before the 5 to 1 splits. So Tesla, I think, is up 400% just in 2020. So, yeah, you can see the volatility. And, like, and just, just on the business, right. how does, what does the volatility mean for like from this Again, I'm asking from, from someone who yeah. has very little knowledge. Oh, all right, so volatility is not bad as people make it, right? There's a good and bad of it. People want something that is constant and consistent. You want to stop going up consistently, but that's not the way market works. So you go up, down, up, down, but the trajectory is up. So you have a stop, uh, you know, making lower highs and every time it's going down here, it's going up, but it has its own way of doing it. So it'll go up 50%, it'll drop another 20%, and then another up, maybe another 50%, and on and on and on. So I'd say the volatility is an opportunity for you to either add on your position or also have a stop loss. If your stop loss gets hit, then just get out. It's easy that way. So volatility is good. Despite people saying, you know, they don't like it, but it's, it's good. As you approach, the end of this episode, how does one go about investing in offshore markets? It's simple. Whether you're an entity or uh, you're an individual, all you need is a brokerage account. You can do that. As I said earlier, we have three brokerages here in Kenya. So there's, I think, Scope Markets, there's FX Pesa, there's Pepperstone. They just recently got the approval from CMA. Some have about 60 stocks that you can actually buy from US. Others have as many as 500. 
but there are 4000 uh, more than 4000 listed stocks in the US so you can look for other brokers right so there's one like interactive brokers is one but you know you have to have documents because first of all they ask for a utility bill you need a KRA pin you will need a bank statement as well uh, so there's a process to it and you know it should take on max maybe a week and once your account is approved you just simply uh, fund it and immediately start investing yeah can you talk about the requirements of opening a brokerage account on this you need to have a utility in the US they need an address right so the easiest way they can get an address from you is you providing them with a document that shows an address so if let's say you pay a, you know a utility bill it will come with under your name it will show where you actually are if you use a KPLC is hard because that is everybody is on a prepaid so unless you have a postpaid for KPLC that will be difficult the best i'd say is a utility bill from Nairobi Water the water utility farms they have the best you have a utility bill from uh, Nairobi Water it will show everything that they need so that's the only document uh, you need a passport as well either you can use a passport or your id or even uh, the new generation um, driving license I prefer to use a passport for myself. So you need a passport, you need a utility bill, you need a bank statement and you need the KRA pin. Those are the four requirements for opening an offshore uh, account, especially if you're going to maybe use interactive brokers. So those are the four requirements you need. Uh, and then they will ask you of course for the funding requirements. So those you can call your bank and they will give you what they will ask. It's not so much that they will ask for. Yeah. Speaking of banks, do we have or rather what is the minimum requirement in terms of finances necessary to open a brokerage account? Uh, in interactive brokers before the Robin Hood came they had a minimum of 10000 but they dropped that to zero now so there is no minimum for that you don't have to have a minimum for investment so you open an account you can fund it with $100 $500 depending on the amount that you have so there is no minimum really for that for individual uh, accounts yes for an entity is different because it depends on how you structure the entity is it a limited company is it an llp you know i prefer the llp part but it depends on what even a small business can actually open one so it really depends on how the entity is so they will ask for the requirements as per the entity uh, structure I know most people want to open the individual is easy for individuals yeah. Sure. yeah most people might not have the utility bill but you can use the deed so the title deed is also you know a document you can use because they need an address they need to know how to find you they want to find you right so there's also a lease agreement we have a lease agreement if you've taken an insurance on whether it's an apartment or not your car but <laughs> address yeah if you take an insurance on uh, your apartment yeah that will work because the document will show the address for that so yes that's a fair point but i'm trying to look at the average nairobian who lives in an apartment building and pays bills like water through their landlord what other document could they offer to which could point out their physical address are there alternatives 
All right, so you can approach your bank and uh, tell them you want to open an offshore brokerage account and you can talk to the manager and the manager will write a letter that will confirm your address from that. So you can use that as well. It's difficult because not so many people have the utility, but that's very true. So yeah, you can use that as well. And also the lease agreement is not there. And most people, even they, when they give the lease agreement, it's a simple paper from, I don't know, the landlord. Um, it doesn't show the structure well, right? It doesn't show the address, but in US, you do need to have an address. They need an address in case they want to look for you for whatever reason, right? I hope they have a different one for Huluma number because that would be amazing. You'll only need just that one document, that's it. So if they can have that on the Huduma number, that would be amazing. Because now I think they're laws, so everybody will need to have a Huduma number. And it becomes, I think, the ultimate document. I'm not sure about everything about that, but yes, if they do have that on the Huduma number, it would be amazing. Because other countries, you'll find that they have an address on either the driving license or um, the ID. So that's the only document that you need for that. So, sorry, this feels like really, really good content for our first episode. Yeah. To our listeners, there's definitely more coming. Next time, we're going to talk about, you know, the myths of investing offshore, some of the different product options that are available, how to open an account, and the different types of accounts. There's a lot you can expect from this podcast, and we can't wait to bring it to you. Definitely. You know, there's so many questions and most people don't know where to go because the only people who can, they, they try to approach other banks. Um, and, you know, it's not easy. I, I did try to approach one bank in Kenya and it was difficult. It was tough. So those were many years ago and, uh, well, I was less wiser, but <laughs> I didn't know about discount brokers or anything. I, I started by just simply learning how it works, right? So it got to a point where you're comfortable, you're confident, and now you really need to input this knowledge into practice. But now where do I go to? So for me, it was simply, let me approach a bank. I went to the bank. Oh, the process is just way out there. And normally the banks are more built for entities, big entities with, you know, a lot of money. They might serve you quicker on that, but as an individual, that might not really work for you. But as a small entity as well, not really good for you. But if you want to invest, for instance, like for Unitrust here in Kenya, they are ETFs in the US, right? So um, you might choose on either or. So ETFs are exchange traded funds, and these are products that uh, they track either a commodity. It could be an index like the S&P 500, could be anything really. So there's so many of them. There are more than 12,600 uh, ETFs listed offshore, 40% of which are listed in the US. So there's a variety for you to choose from. It's actually very good for a beginner who's trying to look into how do I access this market and I'm totally green. I don't know nothing about the offshore investing. An ETF will be a good way to access these markets as you try to take your time and learn the ropes on how to go about investing in offshore stocks. This is really, really good. I think we'll end today's episode here. All right. Thank you so, so much for tuning in today. And Roy, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on offshore markets. Any questions you have, just, you know, reach out to Ali and me, Ibrahim. So we will try to answer them in the best way possible. And 
feel free to reach out. I know there's so many questions people want to ask and learn about how to go, but we'll tackle them as we go. This is our first episode. As we go on, we'll have the second, the third, and you will learn more as we go. So feel free to ask as many questions as you have. In case you do have questions on offshore investments, as we said, you can reach us directly at info at kenyanwallstreet.com or just go to our Twitter page at Kenyan Wall Street and send a DM, you know, with my name on it and it's going to get to me. Thank you so much.